Hi, Kevin. Hi, Amy. What movie did we just watch? We just watched Bad Times at the El Royale. How were the times? Those times, they were bad, they were bad. for the uh, guests of the El Royale. Yeah, they weren't great times. Which is a redundancy. It is. is I expected someone to El, comment on it. The but El no one did. Yes, the Royale. the El Royale is is a redundant name, but I think maybe that was on purpose. I don't know. I I trust Drew Goddard enough as a as a writer director. Kitty, your butt is on the microphone. That's where she puts it. Yeah, yeah microphone butt. Um, I feel like Drew Goddard, writer director of Bad Times at the El Royale, is clever enough to have done that on purpose. <laughs> I feel like only if, in part only because his previous film, Cabin in the Woods, was such a clever movie. Yes. Yeah, so I know we we make a point of not caring about spoilers, but I just want to tell our audience that this is going to be full of spoilers so full of spoilers <laughs> there are so many things that can be spoiled about this film so your warning is now yeah i'm also gonna warn also 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 that there may be a lot of pauses and ums because i was incredibly tired while watching this <laughs> film we did it last night um and so i'm not sure my thoughts That's okay. are in any particular we'll order um, oh, but fun fact that fun fact. I just saw on Wikipedia, it premiered at Fantastic Fest. Oh, cool. Which Lots is of here good in movies Austin. premiered at Fantastic Fest. And it's always one of those things like when Fantastic Fest is going on, which I think it just happened. I don't know. We're in ACL right now. Well, yeah, I think is, Fantastic Fest was like last week. I there's There is some major international festival <laughs> happening in Austin every weekend. And we never go to any of them. So that's but you. Fantastic Fest is one of the ones that I thought most about going to. Still haven't done it yet. Just rub your face on the mic. It's, I'm sure it yeah. sounds great for our vis- listeners at home. Yeah. Well, probably, because Bedtimes at the El Royale premiered. It's Fantastic Fest on September 27th, 2018. So that, that would have been about 5th, a year ago, yeah. So that seems like... When it would have premiered. Um, yeah, I don't know about you, Amy, but I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. <laughs> I did, except I was tired, and so a lot of my <laughs> enjoyment of it was was lessened by the tired. So, for example, I felt like it could have been an hour less in time. <laughs> what was the, what's the time on it's this It's one forty-one minutes, almost two and a half hours. Yeah, it could have been shorter. I, 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 I will give you like that. The, the, it yeah, it could have... Yeah. 141 minutes? That's, yeah. yeah, that's 220. So, that's a lot. Um, that was also colored by progressively getting more, <laughs> more tired, as you tired which for me can be painful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I went into this knowing almost nothing about it, other than I think I'd seen one or two previews and knew it was Drew Goddard's next film. Although I feel like it got a lot of less press than Cabin in the Woods when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, because Cabin in the Woods had Joss Whedon as a, a co-collaborator producer. I think he was a producer on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so lots of people were like, look at Joss Whedon's latest movie. Mm-hmm. You know, Drew Goddard's over here like, I wrote and directed the whole thing. This, yeah, yeah. And you could definitely read El Royale with Cabin in the Woods. I saw. Yeah, I, I wasn't doing that intentionally, but I can definitely see that. I think... 
I think for me it was the idea of being watched, surveyed yes. by larger organizations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Felicity. Kind of trying to <laughs> attack my hand because she thinks it's playtime. Yeah, yeah. Just rub your <laughs> face on the mic. Yeah, that's, it's fine. That's uh, yeah, no, there was definitely some of that, like the idea of surveillance and mysterious higher powers. Um, nothing explicitly supernatural yeah i was a little disappointed <laughs> i kind of i kind of wanted a little bit of a, like supernatural like something real weird to happen yeah i was expecting um supernatural maybe they were all ghosts or something stuck they were the, all dead when was... when we started the film so i was a little disappointed that the, but you gotta you gotta meet the film where it's at yes. and what it was uh trying was, to do it was not trying to be a supernatural movie honestly the the thing I wrote down, right, that occurred to me the most when I wrote it down, was, like, this is, like, a Tarantino movie minus all of the pretension of Tarantino. Ooh, that's that's a good Like, that's this good this reminded me a lot of early Tarantino, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, um, before he kind of got stuck up his own butt with mm-hmm. how cool he is. Um, which made me excited, like, oh, I, liked, I like early Tarantino. I think his yeah. stuff works really well. Um, and then I was like, I sure, sure hope Goddard doesn't go down that path. <laughs> I should don't say, I don't think I've seen a Tarantino movie since Django Unchained. I didn't see Hateful Eight. I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he certainly has his people that like his movies, and I'm not going to argue with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also haven't had any real desire to see a Tarantino movie since Django Unchained. Probably like, I'm done now. Yeah. I think I'm we done. walked out of Django Unchained and kind of said that. It was like, I'm, I'm done. done with Tarantino. Now. Um, yeah, this, this reminded me a lot of that sort of like a lot of moral ambiguity and people kind of being thrown into unexpected situations. Well, and just a highly stylized aesthetic. Yes. Um, in terms of costumes, set design, the lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was was very distinctive without, again, the Tarantino reference needing to directly reference other films. Mm-hmm. Tarantino's gotten to the point where he's like, I want to talk about all the other films I like using my movies. Yeah. And that's fine, but, like, it can overwhelm a film sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't, I didn't catch any direct film references to, like, homage or mm-hmm. styles of things. It was very much its own thing. I think I spent half the movie trying to figure out what time period it was set in. Yes. Um, it was, It was. I think, ambiguous intentionally so. It, yeah, yeah. Because uh, the, the kind of the first shot of um, Darlene is driving in. Well, I, I don't know my car models. but it's looking car. Like a 1950s bubbly. Yeah. It looks like a bubble. Um car she looks stylized and kind of like the 1950s what mm-hmm. i would associate i'm not an expert on costume yeah designer design from the 50s or 60s and then but there is like a station wagon with the wood paneling mm-hmm. um that looked like later so i was confused yeah, my guess was roughly 70s i was thinking 70s based on yeah and the dakota johnson's character coming in in a like vroom vroom car and she's wearing some fringe and we see eventually we see nixon on the tv yes um so that 
But again, uh, since I was kind of suspecting, since maybe it was a supernatural, <laughs> I wondered if different time periods were yeah. being mixed. Um, but that that was not. That's just, not the case. Um, no, there was there was an, I think an intentional ambiguity of using a sort of historical signifiers to sort of make this feel like it took place outside of time to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And there was certainly nothing in it, like in the movie, that couldn't theoretically exist, minus like the lack of cell phones today. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a character who has to use a in-room phone and a pay phone because cell phones don't exist. And that leads to some of the inciting incidents of the story. Um, but like it... it didn't feel out of place or out of it felt more out of time like it, felt, it did feel out of time yeah um, then i was going on they have prices like a cup of coffee for 25 cents yeah and i uh well in the hotel like, room was eight bucks for a night yeah yeah so these were all clues <laughs> to kind of get you situated mm-hmm. but you have the this kind of like other feeling that yeah. Something's well, off. Something's foreboding. Yeah. And I think it's funny that it is in that sort of like mixed place when the hotel itself, like the premise of the hotel is it exists between California and New Mexico. Right. Not between. Nevada. It is in, it's in both. Both, both in places both. at the same time. Yeah. And you can gamble on the Nevada side, but you have to drink on the California side. And like. It's a dollar more. It's a dollar to more stay to live in, in California. California. Which is funny to me. Because I think that sets you up for some expectations of, like, we're going to play with, like, duplicity or mirrors or, like, two sides of something. And that doesn't really ever thematically come up anywhere. Um, but there are mirrors. There are mirrors. But, like, that- but the... We don't... I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like it didn't... Like, it was a neat location... And it was the sort of, like, Americana place that mm-hmm. exists in the world. Um, I didn't feel like it resonated a whole lot with the actual story telling, if that makes sense. Maybe you disagree? I don't know. I felt like there was, like, two sides. There were several characters. Um, John Hamm's character, mm-hmm. who's an, pretending to be a vacuum salesman and is really an FBI agent. Yeah. The priest, who is pretending... To be a priest and is really, um, you know, uh, an ex-con looking for his mm-hmm. last score. Um, you don't, you don't know what's going on with the the Dakota Johnson woman. Uh, like she's bringing in, she seems all normal. Then she drags a body into <laughs> her room. So you go, okay, oh, what's going yeah. on there? You got the singer who won't tell anyone. Like, really, that's why, what she's yeah, there for. she's just for. not opening up to anybody. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she's just being quiet, so you discover. So it's not that intentional hidden, but um, maybe it's, the, the point of the film is to get to the deeper stories of each of the the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really good characters, like really good stories. Everybody sort of had their own plots. I mean, it, it felt very, I don't want to say realistic, because that's not true. Um the disparate bunch of people shoved into an environment where their lives intersect is yeah. a great model for telling stories. Yes. And it's and this did it incredibly well. Mm-hmm. There was a strong engine. You didn't ever quite know what was going to happen next. Um, 
there were there was and and the movie sort of reveals who these characters are to us over the course of the film. Although I really, when I got to Darlene, I was like, "There's got to be more." Like, there's what else is going mm-hmm. on here? Mm-hmm. Just because everybody else was hiding secrets and was so yeah. like closed off. See, you just you just saw it. Everyone was hiding secrets. Well, Duplicitous, so, double. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I let, let me let me rephrase. I'm not. I was looking less for duplicity and more for liminality. Oh, okay, okay. Because I saw it as being a very liminal In space. Two places at the same time. And we have people that move between. between, move, you know, yes. We've got, uh, I almost called him Jeff Goldblum's character. Jeff Daniels' character. Bridges. Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. Who's Jeff Daniels? A different actor. Okay. Well, Jeff Bridges' character, who does move between his roles multiple times throughout the film. Um, but I, I felt like he was the only one. Like, once we, the audience, knew who people were, very rarely did they return back to their previous... That's true. So there wasn't a lot of movement back and forth like you can in a hotel that exists on the border between two states. Right. Um, I don't think any of this is harmful to the movie. I think the movie was not necessarily trying to tell that story. Right. Um, yeah, what else did I write down? I wrote, I wrote things down. Uh, great to look at. I wish more films were fun to look at. This was true of being there as well like i feel like a lot of films today are just boring to watch yeah they don't do anything interesting with the frame or well and the editing here was also assisting in the storytelling yes which i felt in a lot of movies the editing is just like we're gonna watch this yeah then we're gonna watch it from a different angle so we can see the actor's face slightly differently and like it's not telling Mm -hmm. the story yeah very very strong editing long takes that didn't feel like we're doing a long take now or we're showing off what we can do in a one mm-hmm. but that created a sense of place and environment um the reverend doc i think is what he's referred to when he's yes. not being the reverend yes um like wandering around or john ham's character discovering the hidden hallway behind the rooms mm-hmm. like a lot of that was done in these long one-shot takes which sort of passed from window to window but again not not showy or annoyingly so mm-hmm. that were lots of fun um what high felicity i also are good you have you have a thing uh, i was just thinking this is not a long take but yeah. early on john ham's saying good night to his daughter mm-hmm. going through prayers and he is calmly like going, yeah, tearing like, apart t- the taking phone. the phone apart and taking out the bugs. He's finding yeah microphones in the and as like uh, completely unfazed with his daughter yeah on the yeah. phone. Um, <laughs> that was that was a great character moment. One of the one of many great character moments of just yeah. sort of like yeah yeah of course he's gonna get on the phone and start tearing it apart and make sure there's not oh there is a bug on it. And then I, I when I, when that scene was going on, I was like I love that they're just. They're not explaining to me what's happening. They're just showing me what's happening. Yeah. Where he then starts, like, tearing apart things. And there's some mm-hmm. mystery, like, who is this guy? What is he doing? What, yeah. what, what's going on with all of this? But they're trusting the audience to know what he's doing and what he's finding. And we're seeing these cameras and these bugs, like, laid out on the table. And the room is slowly becoming more and more tossed. Yeah, and disorganized, as he's going through it. While he has lined up the microphone's <laughs> incredibly neatly yeah. on the coffee table. Like just that's that's good visual storytelling. Yeah. 
yeah. I want more of that in my movies. Yeah, it is um, not not, not that common. A lot of movies don't do. Well, I was, I'm glad that um, John Hamm's character was an undercover FBI agent because when he started the film as uh, the vacuum layer makes Seymour Sullivan. Yeah. His accent was so bad, and I was just in my mind, I was like... It was real bad. Oh, John Hamm, please tell me you can do a better accent than that. But that was... That is... That's, like, a detail... Yes. That is, again, you don't see a lot of Mm -hmm. the characters putting on a bad accent that maybe a lot of people wouldn't notice. Yeah. Southern accents kind of drive me just... I, I'm very I'm a, particular I'm about my southern people from North Carolina movies. And you just <laughs> so, lean over to me and you're like, "That's that not a North Carolina mm-mm, accent. That's mm-mm. not a North Carolina accent. It's different." Yeah, <laughs> but his was bad. His was bad. But again, he dropped it once he was on the phone with his yeah. family, his daughter, and his wife. So that was a you know that was the character putting on yes a bad accent as as the undercover. FBI agent. Yeah. And so John Hamm has been redeemed. I mean, I don't know if he can do a southern accent or any accents. Maybe he but... can't do any accents, and that's why they cast him for this role. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. That's... Yeah. I, really don't, I don't know where Malibu is. Is Malibu in California? Yeah, Malibu's in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. On the coast. Like... My immediate thought was it was in Florida. I'm like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> like, how, like why, why are they showing us Something that happened in Florida. Like, it can't be in Florida. It must not be in Florida. We'll just play the game. Kevin guesses where, yeah, Kevin guesses where, <laughs> things, are. where things are. No, Malibu is basically part of Los Angeles. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, I, I surmised that it was probably closer than Florida. Did, did you the get that the they film? were... Well, you did get they were in California. Yes. The, the line. There's a line that makes it very clear. Outside of Reno, near Tahoe. Yeah. Um... I got that generally. No, it was it was more like when because it was the when you're watching the TV and you see Nixon and then you see the story about the murder um, that sort of happened before the movie started, and they're like, "This is in Malibu," and it was shot in such a way because the film does things with its shots and its storytelling that I'm like, "Oh, this is important." And then, but my immediate thought was like, "Why is it important that it's in Malibu? Like, isn't that a long way from here?" Um, and then I realized it probably wasn't a long way from here because I know that I'm usually wrong about geography. And it was uh, it was kind of a red herring because you thought, oh, maybe this is the what one of the characters is hiding. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was absolutely what I expected. Murder. And but... not being that was also really good. I'm going to take uh, a screwdriver to this hinge down here. I just realized yeah, what the that's problem is. What's making all the clicking noises? The hinge is, is loose in the table. I can feel it. Uh. Um, in our high quality <laughs> recording studio of our living room. Where you get cat sounds, table sounds. Yeah. Uh, I I laughed real hard at the double use of you got glass in your head. That line was used a couple times and it just made me laugh. Oh, I didn't catch that. Well, when I mean, the, I, I got yeah. as far as like the shrapnel. Well, so when the, when the priest his... gets hit, he's got it. Oh, okay. And then there was somebody, and then, then he later... Miles. Miles also uh, had glass in his Bill head. Because he had said that to the priest, and then he had glass in his head. It was a nice... That is nice. It I was, missed it was, that. It was just details. Detail-oriented filmmaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes my dramaturgical heart happy. Yes. Um, I think two things that stood out to me... While I was watching it, mm-hmm. progressively getting more and more tired. <laughs> uh, 
I kept going, who is the actor playing Darlene? Like, why That's do I not question. know this person? Yeah, she was amazing. She was amazing. Her voice was amazing. Uh, and then her acting ability as well. And it was yeah. a character that doesn't say much. She was just, like, emoting so much through her face mm-hmm. and her body. Yeah. Um, she was amazing. What was what was going on with this character? Yeah. And that's why, why I had, why I had to you look seen at. her before? Well, and then I was like, I wonder. And I was right. It, it was, she was a lead in the Color Purple on Broadway, oh. the list latest version. Okay. So I kind of remember seeing that performance on the Tony Awards. Um. And yeah, that's where. Okay. Well, she. I know. I looked her up yesterday because I had I had the same sort of thought when we were watching the movie. So I looked her up on Wikipedia, IMDb. She was also in Widows. Oh, um, okay. Which we saw the trailer for. um, Which I didn't know was directed by Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen is a is a great director of films I've never seen. Um, He did Twelve Years a Slave. He did Widows, Mm -hmm. which was widely praised, and I would like to watch. Um, he did Hunger back in the early 2000s about well, the Irish hunger strike. Okay. Yeah, that might be a film that we need to watch. Widows? Widows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and the screenplay is by Gillian Flynn, Flynn? it said. Yeah. Too. Uh, and um, Cynthia Erivo, uh, the actor, is coming up, coming up in Harriet as Harriet Tubman. Oh, she's going to kill that. So... <laughs> I see. I see Oscars in the oh, future yeah. she, for this, her. Well, this is. I was also thinking, like, watching this movie. It's funny because I was like thinking about it from the perspective of like this is a really good movie, but also from the perspective of this is going to be one of those films people are discovering for the next ten years. Like, someone's going to pass it around and go, "Oh, if you got to see this, like, you're, it's it's real good." Mm-hmm. Um, and. Again, in 10 years, when she's got a couple Oscars under her belt, they're going to be like, this is that movie she was in before she was famous. <laughs> and all these well, big also, names like John Hamm and Jeff Bridges. The Color Purple and Broadway. Also, the it, color, that was a big, well, that's, that's that because, was a, a big show yes. on uh, Broadway that but year. That's because it takes, you know, 10 to 20 years to make an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah, looking more forward to seeing more from her. And yeah. I one of the most compelling storylines to me. And just, it just kept going kind of like in unexpected places mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And well, yeah, because the moment she, she drives up and she pulls these big bundles out of her car and like, what's going on with that? Yeah. And uh, a heck of a voice on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, whole, the music of the whole movie was really good, though. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. As someone who doesn't usually notice music in movies, like it being sort of part of the scape of the film... Yeah, part of, um, part of the atmosphere. Yeah, did a good job of, of using musical cues, all of which I think existed in universe, which is rare. Let's see. The other thing that stood out mm-hmm. to me uh, was watching Chris Hemsworth in this. Right. And this is the first time where I was like, "Oh, Chris Hemsworth can act." Yes. <laughs> oh. I mean, I've only been watching this guy for, you know, 10 years now. Okay. Yeah. Well, when when we're first introduced to his character, he's very much in silhouette. We don't quite know who he is. Um, I did not know it was Chris Hemsworth in that moment. I don't know if you did or not. I, I suspected on the beach who's backlit, so you couldn't see yeah, his face. Yeah, you couldn't see his face. face. Uh, I thought, 
I, I got something that, that I, it, it was not until like the reveal when he's walking in that I was like oh I know who that is that's a famous person mm-hmm. um, but I, I had the suspicion it was a famous person we, we didn't see his face like this is important like we're not seeing who this person is well also if he was a famous person this is not a guarantee that Kevin would know no what famous it's not person. a guarantee that Kevin would know who this famous person was. Because also in my head, I kept referring to him as Heath Ledger in my head. I don't know why um, that was the case. I mean, this was... I was tired. That was that really was what was happening. I mean, I would put this performance of Chris Hemsworth in the like Heath Ledger school of I didn't know he could do that. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe that was what... <laughs> I didn't know he could do that. Like he's I knew acting. He's knew... using his body to act. He's created a new character with his body. Oh. <laughs> like I knew Chris Hemsworth was fine in the Avengers world. Uh, he's real funny in Ghostbusters. Like he I is like his real performance funny. in that. Um, Everything about Men in Black was disappointing. Was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm not putting that on, on Hemsworth. At all. No, I don't think that was Hemsworth's fault. Because we know he can act. We especially know he can act now, having seen this movie. Yeah. Uh, Because he was real good. He did a lot with that character. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating to watch. And you could see him, like, being a cult leader. Mm -hmm. Like, you could see he had that magnetic personality that just drew people to him. It's a real good movie. Real good acting. Yeah. I didn't know Nick Offerman was in it until we saw the final credits, which was well. Funny. That's great. You couldn't really see, and especially on our tiny little TV, yeah. um, you couldn't. You never saw his face. Yeah. Well, really and then the second time you see him in the film, he's wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you wouldn't know those. But yeah, those were the two performances where it's like, oh, okay, that's what I gravitated to. Yeah, those were um, those were good performances. I I have the same feeling I had at the end of. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is like, I want to see what his next movie is going to be. What's he going to do next? Mm-hmm. A Drew Goddard? Yeah. Yeah. I'm same. excited about him as a filmmaker. I don't know if I have a lot else to say. I think that was... I was going to follow your lead because I didn't take um, notes. I mean, I the, stuff about, the stuff about Miles at the end felt a little... Uh, I hate the phrase deus ex machina so often, but like... Oh, yeah, well, yeah it was Miles bit. also is a crack shot sniper, and he's just going to save everybody, kind of. Um, was a little hokey at the end. Uh, minor thing, I appreciate that the... Um, oh, I forgot that Darlene didn't, like get murdered <laughs> yeah she had agency and she went back for that money she went back for that money they both did i i thought maybe when the place was on fire they were gonna be like this uh, is the money's too much gone struggle. Nope. we're not gonna no we're gonna get that money we're gonna get that money i i appreciated that that was and then she's in reno, and she's in reno. i mean Singing. it's kind of led to believe it's the next night as mm-hmm. she planned to be in mm-hmm. reno to sing but it could have been Ten years in the future, we don't know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I appreciated her story of the whole thing. I mean, she is okay. I I gonna, did that. You, you, I, you're taunting the cat. You're gonna I, get, get. I just had to touch your toes. I know. I do it all the time. It's terrible. Um, no, 
I appreciate that, that Darlene's story was well told and well rounded and wasn't just act, acted outside upon by outside forces, mm-hmm. which you kind of. I kind of expected a little bit at the beginning, mm-hmm. particularly when you see her as the backup singer in the movie, in the movie studio, in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy's sort of like, I can make your career or bust you down to Reno where you'll be singing forever. Mm-hmm. And then like, again, storytelling, we don't hear her say like, I know I'm going to do But no, she's just like, I'm going to Reno. Like that's, that's, that's what we yeah. learn about her. We later learn like she know. decided she's going to Reno. Um, but we, you know, the suspicion is like she wasn't going to take the bait or stoop to that. She's like, I'll go to Reno and sing. And the only person to stand up to to Chris Hemsworth, Billy Billy Lee. Billy Lee. Uh, oh, one of my favorite moments of the film too. Yeah. Rosie is in the background moving <laughs> With stools. The stools. <laughs> Uh, all of a sudden there's just, a shot of her flying over them like, like leaping, leaping up the stools oh and hanging from the chandelier and it was so unexpected it was so like out of tone with what was happening yes with that, that particular scene it was just like whoa and then she like swung on it for like four or five minutes while the conversation's still going on yeah. And then she said nothing was commented on, nothing was said. Yeah, that was that was a good little moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say my detail-oriented brain really wanted the placards between scenes to be consistent. Because they were like, uh, they would do flashbacks and mm-hmm. they would tell you what flashback. It was yeah. going to be room, room one, four, room, room five. Yeah. And then sometimes it was names and sometimes... Um, yeah, so I, I wrote, I was writing those down at the beginning. So room one, room five, Washington, D.C., room seven. And then I stopped writing them again. Billy Lee got one, and then Maintenance Closet was one. Yeah. Um, the only one there, like, I didn't love Billy Lee, and I didn't love Washington, D.C. That's what I think. I was like, oh, these don't fit in the, the kind of the structure yes. that's been set up. Yeah, like if we're going to examine this story room by room, which is a clever way of doing it, <laughs> um, and sort of reveal more information as we go through, the the Billy Lee and the DC both didn't feel like they added as much. Um, I do think, honestly, like, the Washington D.C. flashback was unnecessary. What did they do in D.C.? I don't. It wasn't even a flashback, but it was the phone call. Oh, so we okay. heard the phone call. So typing out the transcript. Typing up the transcript, which made it clear what was going on, but I don't think was necessary for the story as we saw it. Like I think you could have extended the phone call you saw with him in the payphone and maybe even just shown his side of it mm-hmm. um, for another two or three lines and the rest of the movie would be unchanged and you wouldn't need that particular flashback um, and I kind of feel the same way about the Billy Lee flashback other than the fact that I think Chris Hemsworth was great in it um, I think it didn't add a lot of necessary flavor necessary story while breaking up the 
the structure Mm -hmm. in an annoying sort of way. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the kind of thing that I think of in my own writing when I can't make the categories quite fit consistently, then I've done (laughs) something wrong in one of those. Like, I'm going to have to rewrite, remove, Mm -hmm. even though I really want to force it to fit all together. Yes, and I feel like those, those felt like that. Which, again, if we were pushing for a shorter edit of the film i think you could have cut both of those pretty effectively mm-hmm. which would have also narrowed the scope of the film in a, in a very literal sense of we would have seen even less outside of the hotel which i think the structure of being confined to the hotel over a single night was a boon was a smart choice and minimizing the amount of what we see outside of the hotel would have kept the story tighter yeah um because i think with darlene 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 Darlene's story whether or not we needed to see the studio stuff i feel eh, yes no maybe most character-driven of any of them. Um, we saw a very brief flashback of Rose and Well, Ellen. The, the flashback for that room, I believe, was Rose on the beach being found by Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, well, there was another part where, where they were sisters and she was hiding under the bed. Oh, yeah. So maybe those were together. Maybe they were. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look at it specifically and do a deeper, like, actual, like, scene-by-scene analysis. Yeah. Um, but I, I would be curious if I was, if I was the fan editing sort to see if I could cut everything that wasn't at the hotel and see how it held together. Mm-hmm. Um, because you lose the explanation of where the money came from, mm-hmm. but I don't know that you need it other than what he tells you. Um, it it would it would increase the ambiguity for a lot of these characters because we as the audience definitely know because we see it and we trust that what we saw was real. Like this is this isn't Rashomon where we don't know what's real or even if right. we see it on film. Um, if we saw something in a flashback, we know that it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could I could see that being a little more claustrophobic if you cut out all of those. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really nit- nitpicky yes. discussion that we're doing right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Because I kind of like, I do like the placards between scenes of mm-hmm. room two and getting the, I I love a storytelling done by flashback. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just one of my favorite um, devices to use. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying. Well, and I think, I think you could keep some of that nonlinear storytelling in allowing us to see different perspectives of what was going on. So I think that was really strong of like the sort of moments of discovery. Oh, Darlene's been running around the parking lot or, Oh, we see John Hamm's character pulling out the, the important cables in cars. I believe that was a starter. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. It's the main about thing. Cars. <laughs> make cargo. Make cargo. Make he was cargo. talking out the make cargo part. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think you could have a lot of that 
and still keep some of the monolier narrative and and I don't know. Yeah, the flashbacks were fun though. Watching Chris Hemsworth lead a cult was real nice. It's a yeah. good. It's good acting and directing and and well shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I also get from the perspective of like I don't want to cut these darlings. I yeah. love them. Yes, I need <laughs> these darlings. Yeah, that was a good film. Yeah, it was. It's a good film. I like it when I watch good films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it more that we this morning when I'm not so tired. That's fair. But it yeah, goes to make you... how you feel going into a performance will affect your response what? to it. What? You mean it's not just a uh, objective experience that has universal applications? No. Whoa. No. Whoa. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't know. If I, that may be all I have to say about it. But Good film. Do you recommend? Film. I do feel like people are going to discover this over and over again like i'm gonna see like on one of my feeds in five years like you never watched this movie and you should mm-hmm. which isn't i mean um interesting conversation where filmmaking and film releases mm-hmm. are, is happening yeah and again it was today. at fantastic fest lots of important people saw it at fantastic yeah. fest who will who will talk about it but yeah like i know it came out in theaters but like not enough that I was yeah, aware not, of it. You're not going to get blockbusters at Fantastic Fest, no. or even like South by. Maybe slightly more yeah. so at South by. You, but you're going to get. You're going to get highly, like critically positive mm-hmm. reviewed sort of films. Yes, which does not always no. translate to Although box I've, office. I think this movie could have been a box office success. I, I don't remember a lot of marketing. I think I saw one trailer for it when yeah. I went to see another movie. Yeah. Um, I think it's a hard movie to market. Yeah. I think in the same way that, like, I have no idea what the Pulp Fiction trailers looked like originally, but I bet they didn't convey what Pulp Fiction felt like well. Um, because there's really, because I remember the, the trailers did show the two-way mirrors like it went that mm. far into the story so i knew those were there watching because i remember seeing it in the trailer um but really like beyond that it doesn't explain anything else and i, I wouldn't want it to from a marketing perspective but no it was really good oh you she... bothered the kitty so much she attacked me <laughs> what's up delayed reaction it was displaced yeah wrong target it was just okay (laughs) sorry felicity that's why i think that maybe all we got got for bad times indeed it was bad there were some bad times times at the el royale at the el royale (laughs) thanks felicity (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know if she enjoyed it. But. She slept through a bunch of it. Yeah. It's hard to keep track. Yeah. That's fair. All, All right. right. Say goodnight, Amy. Goodnight, Amy.